0: Welcome to the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast. My name is Heather.
1: And I'm Mark, and we are your co-hosts.
0: And we're here to take a look back into the Jewish roots of our faith.
1: For the way forward in youth ministry discipleship.
0: This podcast is a part of the Youth Cartels Podcast Network. Hey friends, it's Heather here. Welcome back to the show. I'm gonna be introducing a special episode for all of you this week as we continue our series on the Torah and the Gospels. So a few weeks ago, our friend John Farwell led us through a Zoom group discussion on the Hebrew mindset. And in that hour or more teaching that he did with us, he unpacked some really insightful and awesome things that really fit in and tie in perfectly with the current series that we're in. So we condensed a lot of what John said and brought in kind of some of the best and brightest spots from that time together to share some really awesome nuggets with you about Jesus in his Jewish context, pulling the Old Testament forward into his teaching in the first century. So friends, we hope you enjoy this episode and learn a thing or two more about your rabbi Jesus.
1: What I want to do is help look at the Bible and keep it in its context as we understand something. So this is the Lego brick I want to look at. A very famous passage. You all have heard this before. Uh, then you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, that, that's been said at political rallies. It's been said. at. Yeah you know, to free slaves. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a battle cry for lots of different things throughout human history. But let's take a step back. And I want you guys, if you have Bibles nearby, open up your Bibles to the book of John. And let's try to put this statement in more of a context. So how does this one verse fit into the larger story that God is saying? And it's actually a pivot point to something I think is pretty profound. So if we open up the story we, and, and we're just going to fly by then, very, very uh, cursory look at the story of this story. It starts in, in John seven. Now, just so you know, chapters and verses and those kind of things were not added to the Bible until the fourteenth or fifteenth century.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So typically, like my Bible right now, if you could see it, it has got chapters, it's got headings, it's got all these different things that break up the story. Yeah that actually hurts us at some level. It helps us mm. to find things quickly, but it also puts in artificial breaks in the story that aren't there. Mm. And we're just gonna walk through chapters seven, eight, and nine and realize it's one story, not, mm. not separate stories. So it starts off with Jesus being in the temple and it's at the feast of what someone say, booths or tabernacles or Sukkot is the Hebrew oh. word for that. It is the last of the seven feasts. We could do an hour and a half teaching just on that feast alone. That would be fascinating, but that's not what we have time to do. But I want you to understand that Jesus is at this feast, and he interrupts a ceremony that happened seven or eight days in a row, depending upon how you want to view the story. Okay. And on the last day of the feast, called the day, the great day of the feast, the, the high priest would go down to the pool of Siloam, would pick up water march back up to the altar in the temple he would march around the altar seven times and then you would go up to the altar and pour out the water onto the altar now why he's doing that is because it's not actually in the bible the if you read the passages about the thesis of code it never says to do that this was a tradition that was added onto the Feast of Sukkot, because it's at the end of the dry season and it's right before the beginning of the rainy season. Now, if you live in Israel, as I've had the privilege of it, you'll realize that from basically uh, April to about October, November, it's never going to rain. Now, you need rain to live. And there is this concept in the Bible that if you want something from God, you take what little you have of it and you pour mm-hmm. it out before Him as an offering saying, God, if you don't show up and mm. give us more water, we're in trouble. Yeah. So the whole ceremony of what's called the libation ceremony at the time of Jesus was well-established in Jewish history. And it was part of what they did during the Feast of Sukkot, even though the Bible does not record God ever saying to do this. Now, in the midst of this ceremony, the high priest would walk to the top of the of the altar. And before he poured out the water onto the altar... There will be a hush that will go over the crowd now for those who've been to israel you realize that almost 28 to 29 football fields can fit on top of the temple mount at the time of jesus mm. the temple itself is very small it's only roughly about the temple itself is only about uh, 30 feet by 150 feet it's pretty small long story short in the midst of the quiet as the ripple effect of the high priest at the top of the altar would go through the crowd, Jesus stands up and said, I am the living water. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's thirsty, <laughs> but come to me and drink. Mm. Now in the midst of that moment, everybody got it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 20
1: times in the old Testament, God claims to be the source of living water. Yeah. And Jesus says, I Am and anybody Mm -hmm. knows the book of John, there's I think seven or nine different I am statements that Jesus makes, and all of them are ascribing to him in some way, shape, or form, his Godheadship.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Jesus claims in that moment, interrupts the ceremony, claims to be God on earth, Mm
0: -hmm. the source
1: of living water. Now, in case we miss that, the very next thing in the story is they want to arrest him. Mm -hmm. The guys Mm -hmm. that go to arrest him. Came back without him, and and the priests say, "Well, didn't you arrest him?" He goes, "Did you hear him? Like, did you hear what he has to say?" I don't want to arrest this guy. So that's the setup of the story, and he. And then you're going into John eight. Now, there's a question whether whether the story of the woman caught in adultery is actually there in the original manuscript. So there's some debate about this, but let's just take this at face value for the moment. John eight opens up. When Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and he came early in the morning back to the temple and they came and they bring this woman caught in adultery and for the sake of time I'm just paraphrasing. Yeah. What's a couple observations that you guys have right away that that you have with this whole story?
0: Jesus stooping down to write in the ground?
1: Yep, we'll get to that. What about the woman caught in adultery? Why this particular day? versus another particular day that they would bring the woman caught in adultery to jesus Mm -hmm. in jewish culture the three fall feasts are all connected with each other the feast of rosh hashanah the high holy day the feast of yom kippur and the feast of sukkot Mm -hmm. there's a lot of debate about the feast of rosh hashanah and what it means and exactly how it was celebrated that's not historically completely nailed down but many people believe it was a time of restoration and asking for forgiveness leading up to the Feast of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The Feast of Sukkot following the Feast of Yom Kippur is the only feast that God says to rejoice before me, which would make complete sense because all your sins just got forgiven. Mm -hmm. The belief was, according to the Mishnah, that you could ask for forgiveness all the way through the Feast of Sukkot. So these guys wait until there's no more forgiveness for the year.
0: Wow. They wait for mm. the day
1: after that to bring the woman caught in adultery in front of Jesus. Now they are trying to trap Jesus. Mm. The first question I have is, where's the guy? Right. right. You can't have adultery by yourself. The bottom line is they think they got Jesus trapped. Mm. Because if Jesus says, "Ah, forget about it, it's no big deal. Who's he? Who's he got a problem with? Well, he has oh, a problem the woman with sin. Yeah. The the fact he says adultery is no big deal. Who, what's who does he, he have has a problem with? with Moshe. Yeah, exactly. With God's word. What Moses said. If he says stone her, who does he have a problem with? Yeah, only, the Romans, not only The Romans could her. do capital punishment. Mm-hmm. But the so, law would require it. So he would he would be breaking Jewish law by not punishing her fully. Right or and then he also would be in trouble with the roman government because he can't do that only the roman government could could assign somebody capital punishment that's why the sadducees and pharisees are working with pilate to have jesus crucified yeah so to heather's point jesus gets on the ground and starts writing and the bible says they drop their stones well the first question we ask is what did he write that's the first western question we want to ask But that's not the point. He drew a fish to show her that he was a Christian. There you go. (laughs) I love it. I'm sorry. No, that's perfect. So the Bible says from older to youngest, they drop their stones and walk away to the point where it's only Jesus and her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The bottom line is Jesus is doing a word picture from Jeremiah 17, which says, I will write your names in the dust and blow you away, you wicked men and leaders of Israel. Wow. And they know the text. They got it, and they booked it. Wow. Now, the next statement in in John 8 says, Mm. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Well, during the Feast of Sukkot, you would have these four menorahs that were 75 foot tall in the court of the women, that when they were lit during the Feast of Sukkot, they would light up the whole temple as of noon and day. And Jesus comes in and goes, what? Those are nothing. I'm the light of the world. I created the sun in the sky. Mm he's making a declaration again about his part in creation. But it's in contrast to these menorahs that still would have been in the court of the women after the feast of Sukkot was over. So, but here's the point we're getting up to is Jesus is having this debate. And then in John 8, there is a change of audience. Listen to this very carefully. To the Jews who who had believed him. So, Jesus no longer is debating with people who don't believe in him. He is now switching his audience to those who do believe in him and said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Mm -hmm. Now, let's unpack that for a second. There's a couple words that we need to dive into hold and know. So, here's my transliteration of what these words actually mean If you live in my teaching, Mm. Which means you actually do what I say. Yeah. You will are the real you are really my disciples. Then you will experience the me, and I will set you free. Wow. Interesting. In essence, what Jesus is saying, mm. if you do what I say, you will experience what I'm talking about. Mm. And in the experience of following through and doing what I'm saying, then you will be free. Yeah. Now you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free the word for no in the greek is gosnos and going back to what mark already shared about the septuagint to know something in hebrew is to have an experience not just a head knowledge now remember a hebrew word is typically associated with an action jesus is thoroughly hebraic even though the the gospels are written in greek now here's the point that's fascinating because then we got this chapter verse chapter nine And it seems to be a whole different story. But what I would like to suggest to you, it's exactly the same story. And this blind man is going to be the object lesson for everything we talked about in John 7 8. So Jesus is going to put mud on a blind man. And then he's going to tell him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Mm -hmm. Now, we've already seeing jesus heal people at the drop of a hat and so why in the world is he making this guy have to go from the temple mount all the way down to the pool of siloam which is about a half quarter of a mile or a little bit longer walk from the from the temple mount to wash the mud off of his eyes he is the object lesson for what jesus said if you Do these things I'm saying Mm -hmm. and you will experience me and the truth will set you free. So go to the pool of Siloam and wash. There's lots of debate about how to translate the word Siloam. Um, It gets translated in general, the "sent" one. My archaeology professor, who is a non-believing Jewish uh, Mm -hmm. expert, would say, no, that's not a good translation. Either way, it doesn't matter. It's specifically about the name. But I want you guys to understand that Jesus asked him to go from up here and walk one last time on about a 30-degree incline, blind, all the way down to here, where the Pool of Siloam is. Now, here's the point, in my opinion. Again, there's lots of ways to look at this, and I'm not arguing that you have to add this to your filing cabinet. The the blind guy is the object lesson for what Jesus is saying to his disciples in John 8. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But Jesus said to them, and this, here's a fascinating thing here. Some of your translations will say, if you abide in my word versus hold, mm-hmm. that word abide is the exact same word that's used in John 15 about the fruit and the vine. Then you are truly my disciples, which means if you abide in and live in what you know about me and experience that by staying connected with me, mm-hmm. then you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Had that blind man never left the Temple Mount and walked down to the spot and washed his eyes out, he'd still be blind. Right. The bottom line, Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you experience me and do what I'm telling you to do, you will experience the reality of what I'm talking about. If you do not implement what I'm saying, you will not experience it. Even if you believe in me and when you die and you're going to go to heaven, you're not you. You're going to miss out on the life in this world if you mm-hmm. don't implement what I'm saying. Right. I'm not attaching sure. this to salvation. Here's the point: is as believers in Jesus, before we know Jesus, we're all in prison mm-hmm. to our sin. Jesus comes along, he unlocks the door, and says, "You're free to go." If we don't get up off the mat. Or the cot in our cell, and actually walk out that door, we don't get to experience the freedom that Jesus is talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I will tell you, though, sometimes it's easier to stay in what we know in our junk versus living a new mm-hmm. life. And that's a whole other teaching on Jesus healing the blind, the, the, the paralytic, yeah. uh, at the pool of Bethesda. Yeah. But that's the point. Mm-hmm. And so everything that has to do in John 9 is actually a physical, tangible expression of John 8 and John 7. Lived
0: out in the sky. All right, did you catch all of that? <laughs> so I don't know about you, but I had to listen to John's words a couple times to let them all sink in. There's so much wisdom that he had to share with us there. So I hope that you're encouraged to continue to grow in your faith to so that you can share that faith in love for Jesus with the teenagers whom you minister to. So hey, check us out on First Century We just dropped our new parables curriculum. We'd love for you to pick that up in our store. We've also got some sweet swag over there, t-shirts and sweatshirts. And then also we would love for you to check out our Facebook group. And then we're still planning on going to Israel in August of 2022 for youth workers only. So if you are interested in that at all, please let us know. Friends, we're so glad you joined us on this episode. We'll see you next time. Bye.